My wife, Kim, and I got married in 1999, and we made vows in sunshine or in shadow. A few months after we were married, I ended up in a cast, impeding my mobility. And then a few years later, when our first child was getting ready to walk, I was on my back with a broken hip. Fast forward a few years after that, when Kim was pregnant with our daughter, I was in a wheelchair, unable to walk, following knee surgery. Those turns in the road that we're not expecting. Those happen with all of us, and last week we looked at Psalm 102, and as we're experiencing symptoms of being overwhelmed in the living of these days, and as we continue living in these days of stress and changes to our routine, with lots of questions regarding uh, the light at the end of the tunnel, how do we get to the next level? How do we develop a consistency of steadfastness in the living of these days? Well, the Bible tells us to worship. The Bible tells us to worship the Lord regardless of our situation, regardless of our circumstance. So the question remains, how do we continue to praise the Lord when those unexpected turns in the road happen? How do we continue to praise the Lord in both the sunshine and the shadows of life. Yesterday, we asked these questions and we looked at David's psalm, Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Verse 1, David writes, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. David is worshiping the Lord. David is making a vow, come what may to bless the Lord. To worship the Lord, how often? David is saying continually, he will bless the Lord, he will praise the Lord, he will rejoice in the Lord continually. We see this later on in the New Testament in, in Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, Paul tells us to rejoice always, but we need to hear the context. In verse 12, Paul writes, We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. So a question for you and me, are we having to admonish or reprimand anyone in these days? As we are quarantined at home for the most part, are we having to be reminded to encourage one another? Are we having to be reminded to be patient with one another? Are we having to be reminded to show appreciation in these days? Uh, Paul writes, he says, See that no one repays another with evil 
for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Hmm. David continues in verse 2 of Psalm 34, My soul will make its boast in the Lord, the humble will hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. My soul will boast in the Lord. My soul, my life, my everything will give praise to the Lord. Well, who hears this? Well, the humble, the, the afflicted, the, the poor in spirit will hear. They'll hear it and they will rejoice. Do you know that there is power in our praise? Our praise of the Lord encourages each other. That's why in these days of quarantine, we, we miss our singing together. We miss our making music together. And this is another reason. If someone who is afflicted, if someone who is going through a trial, a struggle, if someone is praising the Lord, and we know the situation, that makes us ask the question of ourselves, if they can praise the Lord, why can't we? Why shouldn't I praise the Lord? David also uses the word magnify there in verse 3. What does magnify mean? Well, when you magnify something, you zoom in. What you're magnifying grows larger and everything else is pushed out of you. Let me say that one more time. What you're magnifying grows larger. It grows in scope. And everything else is pushed out of you. Well, who will do this? Well, David says... All of us will. He uses the phrase, let us exalt, and in the way that that's written, let us is not a, is not a plea. It's a command. David continues, verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him, out of all his troubles, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Why, why do we worship? We worship God because of his mighty acts. And, and you've heard me say this before, that we know God because of his mighty acts. We are able to see his mighty acts in Scripture. What has the Lord done? Well, the Lord has answered our prayers. Well, maybe today you are having to wait on something you've prayed for. But I guarantee that somewhere, somewhere in your recent past, the Lord has answered a prayer that you prayed. He answered you and, and he delivered you. And when we remember that, we become radiant. We shine. It was 10 years ago this past weekend that our family moved into our home. And we had prayed for that home. And, and 
usually with any big life event, there's a story. Uh, but that's for another time. But but we had prayed for that home, and 10 years ago this past weekend, we moved into that house. And my wife quoted to me on the night once we got everything inside, not unpacked, but in, but inside, she quoted to me Paul's words from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him, the Lord, who is able to do far more abundantly, and some translations say exceedingly abundantly, far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to the Lord be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. When we are reminded of what the Lord has done for us, we give him thankful praise. David writes in verse 7, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. See, rescue was the reason that this psalm was written. If you look back to just before verse 1, you'll see an introduction to this psalm, which reads the following, A psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 21, we are given an intriguing account of David pretending to be crazy as to save his life. I'll summarize the story. In verse 10, David, he is on the run from King Saul. David, they know he's going to be king, and, and crazy, jealous, envious old King Saul is, is chasing David down. And David flees from Saul and goes to Abimelech, or Achish, the king of Gath. And we read in verse 11 that the servants of Achish say to the king, Is this not David, the king of the land? Do they not sing of this one as they dance, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands? David, again, is not yet king, but he's a mighty warrior, and old jealous King Saul wants him dead. He wants to kill him. He's chasing David, but David has a very, very big reputation. He's well known. He's a mighty warrior. And Israel, the kingdom, <laughs> who is ruled by Saul, they are singing songs about David. They are singing songs lauding David's exploits. Well, David hears these words that are said by the servants of King Achish, and he takes these words to heart, and he's afraid of King Achish. So David disguises his sanity before them, and he acts insane. He, he, acts, he acts like he's crazy. He scribbles on the doors of the gate. He lets his saliva run down into his beard, and then... One of the, uh, it's just one of the one of my favorite quotes in Scripture. Achish says to his servants, "Behold, you see this man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen that you've brought me this one to act the madman in my presence? 
<laughs> I've got enough nuts here. Why are you bringing me one more? I just, I love that. Shall this one come into my house? And then we read that David departs from there and escapes. The Lord provides David a way out. David wrote this psalm. He he wrote this psalm as a psalm of worship and thanksgiving, even as David, the mighty warrior, humiliated himself in front of a foe who knew David to be the dignified king to be, the, the mighty warrior. David knew that the Lord was the one who ultimately delivered him. Verse 8, we read well-known words. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, and how blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Oh, taste and see is not an invite. It's, it's an imperative like, like let us exalt. It's a, it's a command. The Apostle Peter, later on in one of his New Testament letters, points to what David wrote in this psalm about taste. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2. We read that Peter says, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. He's actually writing to the church, which is interesting, to rid themselves of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. And and Peter goes on to say, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. David writes in verse 9, O fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. There's a contrast here. If you fear the Lord, if you acknowledge the Lord, if you respect the Lord, there will be satisfaction in the Lord. If we fear him, if we acknowledge him, if we respect him, there will be satisfaction in him. The young lions, that's an interesting picture. Uh, There's more than one here, and and as we know, the plural of, of lion is a pride of lions. And certainly here in the English translation, it seems to be a play on words. A pride of lions. Those young, strong, full of pride, those who feel that they can do it on their own with no dependence from the Lord, David is saying that they will ultimately lack and suffer. They will go without. Verse 11, we read, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Again, a a command for us to listen to these words of David. It's always good for children of all ages to be teachable. Some of the least teachable people that I've known in, in years of ministry have been ones Uh, who are not children physically. 
David continues in verse 12, Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Back in verse 1, David is speaking of God's praises being on his tongue continually. So what's happened here in verse 13? David gives a warning to keep one's tongue from evil. Why? Well, maybe he knew how easy it is for us to both bless God and curse our neighbor in the same breath. James, in his New Testament letter, chapter 3, verse 10, James writes the following. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, things ought not to be this way. David writes in Psalm 34, verse 15, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The brokenhearted, how, how does the Lord respond? Well, he's near. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. You know, Jesus has drawn near to us. Jesus, he came to bind up the brokenhearted. I believe that David was brokenhearted. I, David had humiliated himself in front of King Achish. David was brokenhearted, but he knew that the Lord had saved him. Verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. The afflictions of the righteous, they're, they're many, but the Lord gives deliverance. Verse 21, Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The wicked will be slain by evil. Those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Hmm. Do we really believe that? Do we trust the Lord to do that? Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Thus says the Lord, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. As a close, dear friend of mine, a, a former colleague of mine says, God keeps the scorecard. God keeps the scorecard. In verse 22, we read that the Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. The Lord not only gives deliverance, but also redemption of the soul. His servants, those righteous uh, found in, in verse 21, those who take refuge in him, 
and there's no condemnation for his servants. There's redemption for the soul. And Paul reminds us of this in Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, we, we read the following. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Think about that. Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Look at verse 20. David writes, He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Why does David mention bones? Well, there's a reason, and this, this is intentional. If you were to turn back to Exodus chapter 12, you would see a lot of details given to what is called Passover. The Israelites are slaves in Egypt at this time, and in Exodus 12 we read that the Lord said to Moses to, to tell Israel, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families, and, and you're going to slay this Passover lamb, and you're going to apply some of the blood from the lamb to the lintel and to the two doorposts of your dwelling. And none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. As the Egyptians will suffer the loss of their firstborn throughout the land, you will be protected by the blood of the Passover lamb. And that's what happened. On that very day, all the hosts of the Lord, all of Israel, went out from the land of Egypt. And in verse 43 of chapter 12 there in Exodus, the Lord says to Moses and Aaron, um, lots of details, but he talks about the ordinance of the Passover regarding the lamb. It is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. In John chapter 19, right before Jesus dies on the cross, he, he says it is finished, and he bows his head, and gives up his spirit. In verse 31 of John chapter 19, we read, Then the Jews, because it was the day before Sabbath, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, the Jews asked Pilate that those on the cross, that their legs might be broken, and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers come, and they break the legs of the first man, and of the other who was crucified with Jesus. The soldiers come to Jesus, and they see that Jesus is already dead. They did not break his legs. And then John writes the following. He says, For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture, not a bone of him shall be broken. 
why does John refer to Psalm 34? For us to see a connection from this psalm of worship penned by David to the account of the Passover lamb in Egypt, to John's account of Jesus as the sinless, unblemished Son of God, dying on the cross to pay our sin debt, this is intentional. David saw deliverance from King Achish, and he saw how the Lord provides salvation, and he worshiped the Lord. When we hear these words, we, we see deliverance from sin and death and hell. We see how the Lord provides salvation, and we worship him. As Israel was set free from the bondage of slavery, as Israel was given salvation from death because of the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorposts, in the same way, we are set free from condemnation, set free from the slavery of sin, and given salvation from death because of Jesus, our Passover lamb. And in the same way that we read in Psalm 34, verse 6, about the poor man, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Whether in sunshine or in shadow, we cry out in our sin. The Lord hears us, and we are saved.